0: Connecting for positive change.
1: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Net Zero Talks podcast series brought to you by Innovate UK KTN. I'm and Banks, Knowledge Transfer Manager for Place and the lead for Net Zero Place's Innovation Network, which is a two year flagship programme dedicated to supporting local and regional authorities and agencies to connect, collaborate, inform, share experiences and lessons learned in order to adopt innovation and level up across the UK. Before I introduce our guest today, let me tell you a bit about the podcast series and the Innovation Network. The Net Zero Talks podcast series has been created to hear from the experts and other local authorities on challenges to reach Net Zero. So basically, we work with local authorities to help identify the challenges to meet Net Zero, promote these challenges to our engaged innovators across sectors and collaborate with public buying organisations to make sure the solutions are procurement ready. Our goal is to provide practical insights into different topics and how to achieve net zero in places. Also, before deep diving into the topic today, if you haven't already, please go to the Innovate UK KTM website through the link in the description and sign up to receive the newsletter and updates on all our activities. In this episode, we ask our guests, how can collaboration with academia support decision makers on climate adaptation? In this discussion today let me introduce to you our host Kezia Williamson Head of Place at Innovate UK KTN and our special guest today Alex Rainbow Carbon Neutral Cornwall Assessment Specialist at Cornwall Council and Jess Dickens Research Fellow at European Centre of Environment and Human Health at University of Exeter. So over to you Kezia.
0: Thanks Nilam. I'm Kezia Williamson Head of Place at Innovate UK KTN My role is to connect national and regional innovation and encourage the distribution of economic and societal wellbeing across the UK. That means doing activities in places for the benefit of those places, like getting to net zero faster, which is absolutely the goal of our net zero places innovation network. Alex and Jess, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Before we start, it'd be great if you could take a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners. Alex, would you like to go first?
2: Hi, yes. Hi. Thanks for having me on today. Um yep, so I'm Alex Rainbow and I'm the carbon neutral assessment specialist uh at Cornwall Council. So I work um in the carbon neutral Cornwall team whose job it is to get us to our goal of uh of net neutral by um by 2030 along with uh along with working to improve um the the state of of emissions in Cornwall as a as a as a county um and i've been i have i've had a few jobs uh, at the council but but principally i look after the council's uh, carbon inventory and i've also been involved in decision making and changing our decision making to factor in climate change into the way that we work uh in terms of this project um i've been the 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 cornwall council lead for 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 part of the the project um in terms of uh, our input as both a stakeholder and as Uh, an organisation that that was helping to build the tool that we built originally.
0: Okay, brilliant. And Jess? Hi,
3: my name's Jess Dickin. I'm a Research Fellow at the European Centre for Environment and Human Health, which is part of the University of Exeter. We're based in Cornwall, um, and I'm on the team looking after the local climate adaptation tool, which we call LCAT.
0: All right, so for anybody who's not familiar with this tool, could you just give us a bit of an intro to what the tool and and what this is all about?
3: Yeah, sure, so the LCAT tool, and I'll refer to it as that throughout, um, as that's the acronym we use, um, is a tool which is a digital tool co-designed with stakeholders who are in decision-making roles within um, the local area, um, looking at providing um, future climate maps Um, providing um, impacts on um, particular sectors and on human health and then providing evidence-based recommendations for action for those decision makers in those local areas.
0: Okay, great. So how did, when and how did this collaboration come about?
3: So the project began back in early 2020, just before the pandemic hit Um, And it was part of our outreach work with local areas to try and understand um, how we as a university, particularly our team, um, who are obviously focused on the intersection between environment and human health, how we might uh, look at knowledge exchange, how we might consider our impact for those local decision makers, Um, so that we can bring value to the research that we do and put it into action. And so we gathered a number of different stakeholders working across local authority, NHS, emergency services, and the voluntary and private sectors to ask what actually is happening on climate change adaptation locally. What are the barriers and levers to action? Um, What health impacts are of concern to you as decision makers? Um, And what role do you think we could play? How can we help you essentially? Um, and that led to a project that has grown really over the subsequent two and a half years, um, it's involved a lot more stakeholder engagement, um, we've worked with co-design principles to work with those stakeholders so the resulting project that we now work on and the tool um, is something that has been done in collaboration. Um, the design, the interface, the functionality of it is all informed by those th- that feedback, that insight from our
0: stakeholders. So it's very much a partnership project. So from the authority perspective, what's been the value of that collaborative approach for you?
2: I think uh, from a local authority perspective, uh, having the skills and the knowledge of, uh, of academics is, is just vital. I think as with most local authorities, we're a little bit stretched in terms of uh, in terms of our resources to so to do something truly innovative that involves a substantial level of of research and understanding of the the broader academic principles of the subject is is quite difficult for us to to achieve. I mean, the, the, there's also the, I guess a skills gap um, in 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 the local authority. We're not not everyone but but very few people are, have those have those skills that are possessed by academic researchers um, and um, and and can take that kind of approach to, to developing uh, an evidence-based approach to a subject so so that we it's not the only project that we, we collaborate with the with the University of Exeter on but it's um, it is it, it's a very very fruitful thing for us to have that as part of 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 what we're what we're trying to achieve because i think an evidence-based approach is incredibly important um in in how we approach such a major challenge of climate change so so that's 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 a big part of the uh of the value there that that and um and there are also resources that can be that can be pooled and you can end up with with a, something that's more uh, like a greater than the sum of its parts to be honest when you have when you have that collaboration between an academic institution with its focus on research and a local authority that has the, the sort of real world output for a lot of that, like we we need practical solutions, but they have to be based on evidence. So so that fusion of those two different um, approaches is, is just incredibly important for, for us going forward in, in our agenda as regards climate change adaptation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And have you seen... Some practical solutions or some tangible benefits from it already, or are we too still too early for those? Oh
2: absolutely there whilst the tool itself is still in a, a, a developmental stage it 's still in, a, in, a, in its initial phases um, of development, what it has done is helped catalyze the understanding of the true depth of, of, of adaptation and what, it's, what it really means. Public health is a huge part of what a local authority does it it, it, i mean it's 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 arguably the 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 biggest part is 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 of of what we do is is looking after people (laughs) making sure that they have the ability to to lead um productive lives happy lives safe lives um and that they they live in the the kind of environment that fosters that and that that, that's a big part of the motivation for for what we do Um, and climate change adaptation it has not been at the forefront of, of local authority thinking when it comes to climate change. I think when, when most people approach climate change, they think of it from a mitigation standpoint. And adaptation was not something that we had very focused in our mind. It, it was definitely there on the periphery, uh, and there were people talking about it, because I think for, for a local authority as well, adaptation is is perhaps a, a more important part of the equation the mitigation not that mitigation isn't an important we should be doing everything we can to reduce our emissions but given that that we are effectively administrators over an area that's going to be radically affected by climate change having having access to to both uh one of the things that the tool does is it it takes up the the predictions for for the effects of climate across a wide range of or that well the effects that climate change will have on, on an area across quite a, a wide range of uh of of parameters so having access to that that met office data or i think it is that's that's then condensed down to a local level and, and you know specifically local level is, is really important for us to understand at least the basic what's going to happen uh across cornwall uh and um and then having this this the at least at this stage the um the the spectrum of of potential impact opened up to us. If not, we're not at a stage where we have the tool completed and, and we have all the research input into it. But it's given us that first initial glance at to what the adaptation landscape looks like for public health, and um, and it's really helping uh, focus the council onto onto making adaptation a priority because there's something tangible that we actually have. There's a project that we're working on. Um, that we can point to that we can use in the future so adaptation as i said is is now it's helping generate adaptation as an idea and as a priority within the council
3: And just to add to that as well, it's interesting because in the stakeholder engagement I've done, I've had feedback from stakeholders across other decision making organisations who are saying that just being involved in this project has pushed them to put this at a bit more of a forefront than it has been before. Because our initial findings were exactly what Alex is saying, you know, not much is being done, the focus certainly two years ago, was very much on um, announcing climate emergencies, thinking about mitigation, so reducing carbon footprint more than anything. That was the terminology being used. And it's just really heartening because it's one of those side effects, if you like, that we hadn't really thought about, which is just doing this project is pushing people to think about it and do that work more, which is so exciting. Yeah, so it's creating some momentum then for the whole group, Yes. Um, yeah, I'd say it's it's creating more momentum locally, but actually what's really exciting now as we move on to the, this kind of second stage, if you like, of the development is we're going national and we're, we're out there talking to stakeholders in similar positions to our Cornwall group, but in other local authorities and by the way, at, an, at a national level, um, because that's important for us to understand the kind of uh, national policy landscape as that emerges. Um, that actually the enthusiasm there is huge, but the same issues that Alex has mentioned uh, are echoed across... All other local authority areas, you know, this this lack of financial and time resources, um, you know, that they want to do this work, but they ha- they're unable to take um, a huge amount of action. You know, there are issues around a lack of expertise and confidence as a result. Um, and what I keep hearing as well is this um, this issue of short term decision making, particularly in pu- in the public sector, which, every, you know, is not new news. But it's really useful for us as we build this tool, that it responds to that policy context within which our decision makers are working. Because if we understand that the culture is short-termist, generally speaking, you know, I recognise that's not always the case, but generally, um, you know, how do we build a tool that has the power and the right wording and the right data so that it helps flip that? Because any work around climate change adaptation demands that we look at long-term decision making. And so if we know that the context is... Is as I've uh, said, we just need to be a bit more clever about how we design this and the functionality of it, and that's what's um, like gold dust, really. You know what's so important about this co-design approach?
2: I just want to add just a little anecdotal thing. Uh, this morning, I was I was out and uh, I happened to to go past a, a set of new houses that are being built, and they're being built right at sea level, and and having this 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 a switch to to having a, an adaptation lens on. I'm just thinking oh my god this is something that we can't do we can't build <laughs> ha- new houses at sea level it just from a for so many reasons but <laughs> it, but public health is definitely going to be one of them and, and and prosperity as well for in the future and 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 that's the that's the kind of thinking that, that needs to be translated across to all areas really within within what we do as a local authority
0: yeah so it actually becomes more about a systemic change within the authority then because that presumably needs to filter to Planning, consent, and, and those kinds of things.
2: Very much so. Yeah, public health is such a broad-reaching thing. It reaches into all the other areas that we're doing. As you said, planning. Like we've got to plan for the future, and we've got a plan for people's uh, future health and having having homes that are going to be flooded. It's it's not it's not a very good idea.
3: Yeah, I think as well the approach we're taking is very much that we're providing evidence-based. Um, data and uh, recommendations for action across a number of sectors. Um, So for those who aren't familiar with the public health approach, it's concerned with prevention, but it's also concerned with um, health becoming everybody's business, whatever sector you're in, because it's so important that different sectors respond to the impact on humans. Um, And so what again is quite unique and has power in this tool is the fact that we have modelled it in that way. So if you work in transport or planning or housing, there is information for you. For sure, we're going through the lens of human health, but actually lots of that data is going to be really relevant to your sector. And again, what's really important with engaging with people who work in those sectors is they can give us the insight and expertise with, from their sector that we aren't going to pretend we understand As experts in our area, but it allows us to account for nuance, account for maybe different terminology that we need to be using, um, and different ways of viewing and understanding the data that we present in this tool. um, And we can refine things as a result.
0: So, Jess, I was going to ask you um, so you're talking in that collaboration, then, and we've talked so far about the sort of high level collaboration. But it sounds like the collaboration actually needs to be quite deep. It needs to be different roles within the council or within your stakeholders rather than just the different stakeholders as a, at an organisational level. Is that right? So it's been really important that we have a mix of stakeholders from agro-
3: across different sectors. So while we tend to, certainly now that we're looking more nationally, we tend to go in um, through environment carbon neutral teams, whatever they're called within those organisations. Actually, um, the strength of the project so far has been that we've had transport people, housing people, planning, public health, environment, policy and strategy, all in the same room, supporting us to co-design the tool. Um, And we want to replicate that as we go national, um, because we need to hear from those different sectors in order to make this tool as useful as possible.
0: And how easy is that? Because I can see that, you know, if you're going into the The climate change officer and talking about climate adaptation—that that's going to be super relevant. But do you find has there been any um, difficulty or challenges in getting some of those other roles into the room where they might not see the same obvious relevance?
3: No, it's been really interesting for me that that hasn't been an issue so far because there's I think everybody's alive to the fact that we need to be. Uh, integrating work on climate change within any sector we work within. Um, There's such enthusiasm and interest and I think particularly over the last couple of years Our culture generally and I don't mean just professionals has moved in a way that means that climate change is forefront of probably everybody's mind in some way and for sure different people come from different uh, levels of understanding and education, if you like, uh, on this topic area, but nevertheless, people want to do work on this. I recognise that adaptation, as Alex has mentioned before, tends to be the newer and less talked about area because it's been so much about mitigation and reducing our carbon footprint. But it doesn't mean to say that the interest isn't there. So actually, I found it fairly easy to engage people in different sectors. Um, and when we do approach them, I'm always offering a full introduction to this topic area so that they're not coming in um, cold, cold, um, most of my work starts with um, a bit of an intro to the topic area. Um, and building some basic understanding of what we talk about when we're talking about adaptation. Um, And and then when they see the tool, because we have a prototype, it brings it to life. Um, And that prototype we chose with stakeholders, one line of inquiry, and it's quite a small line of inquiry, um, but it's about active transport. And that in and of itself helps because we haven't chosen healthcare, for example. Um, And so that in and of itself might alienate because of course we're concentrating on the impact on human health at the end point. Um, you know, the fact that we focus on transport helps planners even to see, oh, okay, this is for me. <laughs> um, so I
0: think that's helped. It's not just that it's a, a co-design you're really taking that you're kind of customer first and customer centred, I don't know if customer is the right word, but stakeholder centred approach with, with what you're doing. Yes, definitely.
3: Um, and we're always interested in hearing how it's being used. Um, along the way too for sure we're at quite an early stage so um, it won't necessarily be being used lots now but as we build and develop it over the next 18 months um, it'll be something that we hope other areas will start testing for us so that's a huge part of this next stage we need people to be using it and letting us know where it doesn't work where it sings where it um, it just isn't in plain enough English for example for them to understand what we're going on about so um, this next stage is really crucial for us to keep te- going back and testing it with stakeholders
0: so what's your what's your approach for the next stage then how are you rolling it out and how are you keeping this collaborative approach going as as you get into more the the testing and rollout rather than the development of it so over the next um, year
3: especially we are going out and talking to decision makers in other local areas. And that's not just local authorities. That would be um, people who work in the NHS, um, voluntary sector, private sector. Um, Although largely our focus tends to be local authorities and then the departments within them. Um, And recruiting them to be part of um, an evolution of the stakeholder group we've had in Cornwall. Um, So we have a number of different... Uh, local authority areas who are already interested because this supports their journey as much as ours Um, and in in the summer we hope to launch um, this new iteration of our stakeholder group and that group will go with us on this next stage of our journey um, to test refine strengthen and develop the tool Um, and what's exciting as well is that we will be able to add in much more data and information around the impact of heat specifically, the impact um, and recommendations around flooding specifically. Um, and with our stakeholders, we will design together what the next focus will be, because we want to respond to their their needs and interests.
0: And Alex, what's the next phase of this from your perspective? Are you thinking about how you're collaborating with other um, other councils and local authorities or what's your next stage you continuing to focus within within your own plans
2: uh so so for us it's to make sure that we're still involved in this uh we we did um contribute we had some funding um to to help work on the initial phases of this but that that funding has is, is, has gone but we want to remain as uh, a key stakeholder helping to helping to develop it helping to to test it um helping to to refine it uh so that it does still meet our needs I- effectively just but 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 definitely at a, a sort of scaled down um intensity to to where we were before um in this but but it, it it's something that is important to us and um and we do yeah so we do want to continue being a part of this of this project so yeah that's it really <laughs> that's where we're at
3: and for context what's really great about this is we have a core project team that's multi-agency and so alex and some of his colleagues are in that core project team um so not just a stakeholder who comes to workshops that we host but actually on that core project team with us um, and we have another organization who's a not-for-profit called then try this and there are kind of research developers so they're the ones who are developing the actual tool itself Um, and working at the functionality as one of their um, areas of expertise. So um, it's not just the university and it's not just Cornwall Council, but it's a group of three of us uh, running the project, which is exciting.
0: So are you looking, so I'm thinking about people listening to this podcast, are you looking for other councils or other stakeholders to get involved in in your project? Yeah, we'd love other um, places to contact us if this is a project that they
3: have any interest in. So what they can do is um, two things. Best option is to to, uh, go to the profile page of this project on the European Centre for Environment and Human Health website. Um, So that's www.ecehh.org and search for Local Climate Adaptation Tool. And on that page at the bottom, you'll find a contact um, form So that is the best way to contact us.
0: Brilliant. And like I said, we'll include the details for that in the links with the with this podcast so you can access that. What's the role of collaboration between local authorities when it comes to climate adaptation?
2: At the moment, I mean, I I can only really speak from from Cornwall's perspective, but there is not a great deal of it. even even for the for for the, the more well known area of mitigation, there there is there is collaboration. There there are there are projects going on but there's still they're still slightly piecemeal in, in my opinion. Where I, I came from uh, waste and recycling before this and there is very, very strong collaboration or very well established set of of systems and networks that exist um nationally, regionally, sub regionally. For, for waste and recycling officers to to get together to share ideas to develop projects together it's very much a it's a very much smaller sector is is climate change um in in whatever form it is um and a lot of local authorities have very little resource that they they put across to this so you know possibly one person only who's who's the climate change officer and maybe they're only doing it part time uh, whereas other local authorities are much better funded in that regard and have that as a as a higher priority for the actual spending uh, so but uh, and whilst there are some networks that do exist that there isn't um, a great deal and when it comes to adaptation even more so even more so adaptation is is only just becoming a a, a factor in the thinking of of a lot of local authorities and we've had our, our struggles in terms of helping define the difference between the two things mitigation and, and adaptation here for a lot of people who are involved in decision making um, and it's not been hugely easy but it's been the focus of another part of, of the work that i do changing our decision making systems here is to is to again push that idea that adaptation is a little bit different so in terms of working with other local authorities there there are bits and pieces that we we are we are part of the the devon cornwall on the isles of scilly a, a group there that's looking at adaptation um and um creating a an, a, an adaptation plan there but um, beyond that I've had very little contact I would say and we've had very little contact beyond that in terms of adaptation we've only just ourselves employed someone to lead on adaptation in the council within the last two or three months I think it was so uh, they're, they're starting to establish a, a network but there's there isn't a great deal in terms of collaboration going on at the moment and it's an area where we really do need to to, to do that as I, as I said before. Adaptation is almost more important than than mitigation in terms of in terms of a local authority's role uh, in, in 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 how we deal with with climate change. So, I think as it becomes a more established part of local authority thinking, and this tool will will, will help with that. Um, undoubtedly, it will help with that. We expect to start reaching out and uh, and working together much more closely with other local authorities and other. Public sector, private sector, organisations that do that are taking adaptation seriously and do have that as part of effectively their essential remit um, going forward.
3: So, to add to that as well, it's definitely a gap from our side we've noticed. Um, just recently, colleagues um, in University of Exeter have actually launched what's called a community of practice to try and bridge that gap to some extent, and so that's a forum within which anyone interested or working on adaptation. Um, not just in decision-making roles, but researchers as well can come together and offer peer support uh, to share insights and thoughts and to notice gaps. Um, because there's lots of those as Alex has said so that exists and we can provide the links to that also because that's an open forum for people to attend Um, yes we talk sometimes about this project that I'm talking about today but actually it's a much more broad and open network Um, and again there's real enthusiasm and appetite for that because people do want to reach out to their colleagues And one of the key findings from our stakeholders that I recall from the early days was saying that actually one of the ways to build their confidence as decision makers is to see and hear about other decision makers having done those things, taken that action. Um, It really builds confidence. So I think it's an essential part. Um, And we hope that our project, again, almost as something we might not have necessarily realised right at the start, but that the project... Allows for that also because in building a national network straight away you've got people from other areas talking to one another and sharing insight. Um, So I think that will be a useful function actually of this project as it develops.
0: Yeah, we're seeing that same message coming through from the the Net Zero Places Innovation Network too, which is more focused on the mitigation side. But you know this all part of the same the same puzzle, isn't it, really, that bringing people together and sharing these sharing these common challenges um, seeing where we can work together on some some solutions as well. And I wonder, I I don't and maybe I don't know if you're seeing this yet, whether how far you've got in your in your development, what are the commonalities that you're seeing so far in terms of the times of kinds of actions that might need to be taken so is it quite um, place specific or are there are there common actions that that you would be looking at for for councils or other stakeholders to to do on the basis of climate adaptation so at the moment the project is only at
3: prototype stage so i can't comment on whether there's a huge amount of commonalities uh, just yet um certainly from the prototype, which is focused on active travel, um, the small amount of insight I've had from practitioners in that area is that there's crossover between some of the actions that they might take around active travel across transport more
0: generally. Um, but that's that's the only insight. So, so watch this space. <laughs> is that something that you're going to be looking at or that you hope to pull out as insights from the next phase of development? Or are we still several steps away from thinking about that? Yes, I think we're several steps away from that just yet. Um,
3: I have no doubt that there will be recommendations that are similar for different areas. And I'm sure as well that the climate in certain areas will be similar in terms of future predicted climate. What's quite interesting as we move into this national focus is we're able to ensure that we have representation from different geographical areas. So, for example, a city uh, might be concerned with um, the heat island effect, which is not something that a rural place like Cornwall would necessarily be so concerned with. We, as an area completely surrounded by water, might be more concerned with flooding and sea level rise um, compared to a city you know, right in the middle of England. So I guess that those are the two. Th- those are the things that will be interesting to explore as we go forward into this next eighteen months.
0: Okay, brilliant. And we've we're including the details for how people can get involved in your project in the podcast notes, and would encourage anybody that is interested to to check it out and to contact the team. Thank you, uh, Jess and Alex. Um, as we've said all of the information on how to get in touch with the team will be included in our podcast notes Um it sounds like an absolutely fascinating project and really I could talk, talk to you for ages more about the next steps and, and what else we could do on this so yeah come back at some point and tell us how the next phase is going Um in the meantime I will pass back over to Nilam to close out this talk thank you.
1: Thank you, Kezia, for hosting this episode. And again, Alex and Jess for joining us today. And thank you for listening. All the links are in the description. And don't forget to sign up to receive the newsletter and updates of our latest activities. In the next episode, we'll be joined by the Net Zero Hubs to get their insights on the common challenges authorities face on their journey to Net Zero and how they overcame them. Thank you again for following us. And we hope you enjoyed this episode and you'll come back for more. Until next time.
2: Connecting for positive change.